Let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in the Lord's Days 30 and 31. And then our concentration will be especially on question and answer 81 and 82 and in connection with Lord's Day 31, with discipline in the church. But we'll read both those Lord's Days. We have God's Word summarized here as follows. What is the difference? What difference is there between the Lord's Supper and the Papal Mass? The Lord's Supper testifies to us, first, that we have complete forgiveness of all our sins through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which he himself accomplished on the cross once for all. And second, that through the Holy Spirit we are grafted into Christ, who with his true body is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And and this is where he wants to be worshipped. But the Mass teaches, first, that the living and the dead do not have forgiveness of sins through the suffering of Christ unless he is still offered for them daily by the priests. And second, that Christ is bodily present in the form of bread and wine and there is to be worshipped. Therefore, the Mass is basically nothing but a denial of the one sacrifice and suffering of Jesus Christ and an accursed idolatry. Who are to come to the table of the Lord? Those who are truly displeased with themselves because of their sins and yet trust that these are forgiven them and that their remaining weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Christ and who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and amend their life. But hypocrites and those who do not repent eat and drink judgment upon themselves. Are those also to be admitted to the Lord's Supper who by their confession and life show that they are unbelieving and ungodly? No. For then the covenant of God would be profaned and his wrath kindled against the whole congregation. Therefore, according to the command of Christ and his disciples, The Christian church is duty-bound to exclude such persons by the keys of the kingdom of heaven until they amend their lives. What are the keys of the kingdom of heaven? The preaching of the holy gospel and church discipline. By these two, the kingdom of heaven is opened to believers and closed to unbelievers. How is the kingdom of heaven opened and closed by the preaching of the gospel? According to the command of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is opened when it is proclaimed and publicly testified to each and every believer that God has really forgiven all their sins for the sake of Christ's merits, as often as they by true faith accept the promise of the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is closed when it is proclaimed and testified to all unbelievers and hypocrites that the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rest on them as long as they do not repent. According to this testimony of the gospel, God will judge both in this life and in the life to come. How is the kingdom of heaven closed and opened by church discipline? According to the command of Christ, people who call themselves Christians but show themselves to be unchristian in doctrine or life are first repeatedly admonished in a brotherly manner. If they do not give up their errors or wickedness, they are reported to the church, that is, to the elders. If they do not heed also their admonitions, they are forbidden the use of the sacraments, and they are excluded by the elders from the Christian congregation and by God himself from the kingdom of Christ. 
They are again received as members of Christ and of the church when they promise and show real amendment. After the sermon, we will sing from hymn 46, the stanzas 1 and 2. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, question 81 asks, who are to come to the table of the Lord? Not everyone answers this question in the same way. There are those who would like to include as many people as possible. As far as they're concerned, anyone who is a Christian should be able to attend. For does the Lord God not accept such people as his children? Are we not going to be sitting around the same table together with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the life hereafter? What right do we have to exclude others from the table of the Lord? After all, it's the Lord's table, isn't it? And not our table. Those who think that way mourn the fact that when we have guests in our midst who also regularly go to church, be it a different church, that they cannot sit around the table with us unless they come with an attestation. It's wrong. We should not judge them, they say. Others state that only those who are a member in good standing in this church or who are members in good standing of a sister church should be allowed to attend. And that's also, as you know, our practice here. We only allow those people on the Lord's Supper table who have either been cleared by the local consistory or the consistory of a sister church. We accept the judgments of those consistories only. The question is, are we being too exclusivistic in our practice? Is it not wrong for us to judge. Now, brothers and sisters, no matter what your point of view is, you always make a judgment. When it comes to the Lord's Supper table, you make a judgment, first of all, about yourself. By going to the Lord's Supper table, you state to the Lord and to your brothers and sisters in the Lord that you are in good standing with your Lord and Savior that nothing prevents you from full fellowship with the Lord your God, that there is nothing that stands in the way between you and God. As far as you're concerned, if you were to die right at that moment, you would be going straight to heaven. That is the judgment and the declaration that you make when you attend the Lord's Supper. And so you do have to make a judgment about yourself. What about our judgment of others? Should we judge them? Well, no matter what, you also have to make a judgment about others. For when you state that someone else should sit around the Lord's Supper table with you, then you also have to make that judgment. And then you judge that such a person's declaration that he or she is a Christian is valid. And then you agree with him or her that he or she is going to go to heaven with you, that you are assured that you are going to sit beside him or her around the throne of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
then you make a judgment of that person that he or she is leading such a lifestyle which makes him or her a worthy partaker of the supper of our Lord. As far as you're concerned, you don't need a consistory for that. The consistory has nothing to do with that. You can make that judgment yourself. But now, Lord's Day 30 and 31 deal with the involvement of the church in the exercise of discipline. It has some important things to say about the involvement of the church. And here we are dealing with our confession. That is what you confess. That's what I confess. The question that we should ask ourselves this afternoon is, how does the church evaluate those who present themselves for attendance to the Lord's Supper? What is the church's role in that? Does the church have the right or the responsibility? Do we have the right practice? Does the church hold the keys of the kingdom of God? And if the church does, how should the church use those keys? Whom do you include and whom do you not include? Brothers and sisters, these are difficult questions. And that's not the Lord's fault that this is difficult. That's our own fault. Because of sin, we complicate things. It's understandable that we want to include as many people as possible, that we don't want to set the bar too high. It doesn't make us feel good to have to exclude others. And therefore, we have to strike a good balance, a biblical balance. A good example to follow is the example of the Lord Jesus. As you know, the Lord Jesus included as citizens of his kingdom all kinds of people. He included the downtrodden of society, the poor and the lame and the crippled, and those who are handicapped and those who are disabled. He also included public sinners, such as murderers and prostitutes and tax collectors who embezzled the money of the people. And he also spoke strongly against the legalists, against the Pharisees who excluded from God's kingdom anyone who would not comport to their standards. The Pharisees set the bar very high. If we follow the example of the Lord Jesus, then we have to guard against extremes. We have to guard against being too inclusive and also against being too exclusive. How do we strike that good balance? How do we judge? And whom do we judge? And who does the judging? How and by whom is discipline exercised? I will preach to you about the function of discipline in the church. This involves, in the first place, yourself, in the second place, others, and finally, the church. I will state that again. I will preach to you about the function of discipline in the church. This involves yourself, or you can also speak here about self-discipline. In the second place, it involves others. We can speak here about mutual discipline. And in the third place, it involves the church. We can speak here about church discipline. As I said, we first of all make a judgment about ourselves. When we go to the Lord's Supper, we make a certain declaration about ourselves in the first place. 
we state that all is well between the Lord and us. However, we are not inclined to stand in judgment about ourselves in the first place. We don't like to put ourselves under the microscope. We would rather stand in judgment about others and about other things. That's much easier. And that's also what keeps us much busier than thinking about our own sins and shortcomings. And then we talk about how the celebration of the Lord's Supper is not reverent enough, that we don't do the Lord's Supper in the right way. It's got to be done this way. It's not got to be done that way. And if you don't do it my way, then you profane the table. Don't get me wrong. The Lord God is concerned about doing it in the right way, in the proper way. We have to be on guard all the time. But there is more than one way to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We may not get bogged down on unimportant details. Let's not get stuck on the outward symbols. We also have the tendency to be more concerned about others than about ourselves. We wonder, does this brother or that sister have enough faith? Is his or her lifestyle good enough? Look at how irreverently that person conducts him or herself during the worship service and outside of the worship service. Should he or she really be going to the Lord's Supper? Brothers and sisters, it's good to be concerned about the table of the Lord and about your brother and sister in the Lord. But first, start with yourself. Think first about your own sins. Think first about your own lifestyle and about your own irreverent way of worship. You are certainly not perfect in that regard, are you? I know I'm not. It's easy to look at others. It's easy to look at other things. But what is the Lord's Supper all about? Do you ever ask yourself whether or not you are allowed to go to the Lord's Supper? It's a good question to ask. It's a matter of self-examination. We read together from Isaiah 1. And there we read about the Israelites, how they conducted themselves concerning the offering of the sacrifices. And we also sang about that. We sang two songs about that, how the Lord is not delight in sacrifices if they are not done in the right way. And now the bringing of the sacrifices as temple worship mirrors the Lord's Supper in the New Testament. From the outside, with the Israelites, everything looked good. The people were making their sacrifices and they celebrated their religious holidays and they sent up their prayers to God and they did everything in the way that it should be done. And yet, the Lord is angry with his people. He does not want their sacrifices. He does not want their prayers. He does not want their worship at special holidays. He doesn't even want to listen to them. And he states that very strongly. He will not tolerate it. He has no pleasure in their sacrifices. They have become a burden to him. Why? Because in spite of the fact that they came to his temple and in spite of the fact that they did their duties with regard to the temple worship, just as had been prescribed, 
they combined their worship with evil deeds. They lived in their sins. They should repent before they partake of the worship and of the sacrifices. And the same thing is true in the New Testament situation. The Catechism asks, Are those also to be admitted to the Lord's Supper, who by their confession and life show that they are unbelieving and ungodly? The answer is an unequivocal no. Brothers and sisters, you don't fool God. How does God see you? This coming week is a week of self-examination. Think about that question. To others, it may look like you've got it all together. You go to church regularly and you read along and you sing along and you listen along and at home you read your Bibles. But for the rest, you lead an ungodly lifestyle. Let me ask you, what is your reputation in the community As a Christian, as a believer, what distinguishes you from your co-workers, from your friends? And young people, you have to think about that question as well. Are you doing the same kinds of things and engaged in the same kinds of entertainment as those around you? What kind of friends do you hang around with? What are the kinds of things you do in secret? Are you sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend? Are you getting drunk? Now, please don't think that you have to lead a perfect lifestyle. That's impossible. And the Lord God does not require that from you either, or he knows at least that you stumble all the time, that we're all stumbling fools. I'm one of those as well. Time and again we fall into sin. But the question is, after you fall, do you then also stand up time and again? Or do you remain in your sins? Do you live in them? Do you not care that you watch pornographic movies or visit porn sites on the web? Do you not care that you are disobedient to your parents or to those in authority over you? Do you not care that you drink too much? Do you hate your brother or your sister? Once again, the question is not whether or not you are having difficulties in all these things, in your relationship with your parents, with your children, with your husband, or your wife, or with your other relatives, or your co-workers. And the question is not either whether or not you always tell the truth, or whether or not you squander your money once in a while, or whether or not you are greedy at times. But the question is this, are you a habitual liar? Are you known as a gossip or a slanderer? Are you living in adultery? What kind of reputation do you have? In short, when you fall into sin, Is that against your will? Or have you given in to your sins? If the latter is the case, then you do not belong at the Lord's Supper table. Then you had better not come to the table next week. Because if you do, 
then the Lord God is going to judge you even more harshly. And so before you go to the Lord's Supper table, what is the first thing that you do? The first thing that you do is to examine yourself. You cannot skip that step. Don't think about the others at the table in the first place. And don't think about the ritual itself, whether or not it is being done in exactly the way that you think it should be done. No, think about your relationship with the Lord your God. Is that covenant relationship dear to you? If it is, then you, as the Catechism says, will also be truly displeased with yourself because of your sins. Then you do not want to live in them. And then when you fall, you get up again. You ask the Lord your God to raise you up. For make no mistake about it, it's not something you can do on your own. And it is only then that you can go to the second point, namely the examination of others. Mutual examination, mutual discipline. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, teenagers, when you grieve about your own sins, then you also grieve about the sins of others. For your brothers and sisters in the Lord are near and dear to you. Then you do not delight in the sins of others, but on the contrary, then you mourn those sins. It is clear from Isaiah 1 that those Israelites that Isaiah describes there, that they lived in their sins. For that reason, the Lord God condemns them for partaking of the sacrifices. He condemns them for the fact that they went to the temple to worship him and to celebrate the religious holidays. You may ask, why does the Lord condemn them? And the answer is that the Lord God condemns them because of their sins. But does he not also forgive them? He does. One of the most beautiful statements of all the scriptures is from Isaiah 1 verse 18 where the Lord says, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Isn't that a wonderful statement? But prior to that, he said something else as well. He said in verse 16, Wash yourselves and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, young people, stop doing wrong. As we saw, the Lord God wants you to take responsibility for your own life first. He wants you to discipline yourself. He wants you to examine yourself. And those Israelites were not doing that. And for that reason, the Lord God also gives responsibility to others. You cannot just leave it up to others to make a judgment about themselves. People fool themselves. They may say that they are Christians, but are they? There are so many people who claim themselves to be Christians, but is that really true? 
What about those Israelites described by Isaiah? Do you think that if you were to ask these people at that time whether or not they were believers, whether or not they were children of God, do you think that then they would have answered in the negative? How do you think those people would present themselves? They would present themselves as believers. For they were blind to their sins. They should not have been allowed to partake of the sacrifices. God hated their sacrifices. And those priests that allowed it were unfaithful priests. You see, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, God's holiness is at stake here. There are many people who claim to be Christians. And some of them even go to church, but what kind of a church? Is it a church that sin, that takes sin seriously? Where warnings are given from the pulpit? Where discipline is exercised? Where you receive a visit from the elders? When they hear about your unchristian lifestyle? Where you are being warned? Where there is meaningful interaction between the members of the church? Most modern churches are not like that. But we need to warn each other. We need to interact with each other. Listen to the scriptures. It says in Galatians 6 verse 1 and 2, Brothers, if someone is caught in his sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. The Lord God asks you also to examine your brother or your sister in the Lord, in love, gently. The same warning the Lord God gives in Hebrews 3, verse 12 and 13, where it says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that... None of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin's deceitfulness. We also read together from Colossians 3. In verse 16, Paul also sounds the alarming bells. The alarm bells. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Admonish one another. And so you see that there are many passages in scriptures that teach how to be involved with one another. How to examine not just yourself, but also others. It's even a command from the Lord. You have to judge others. Why? Because else, as the catechism says, God's wrath will be kindled against the whole congregation. God commands all of us to holiness, to purity. We must prove in our lives that God's declaration to us that we have been made holy through the blood of Jesus Christ is something that we also want for our own lives and for others. If we do as the Israelites did in Isaiah 1, 
then God will also say to you and to me that he does not want our worship or our prayers or our Lord's Supper celebration. Then he will also turn his face away from us. His wrath will be on the whole congregation. He will be angry with us. Brothers and sisters, it is that serious. And so each and every one of us has the responsibility to our brother and sister in the Lord. The scriptures are quite clear. But what if our brother or sister does not want to listen to our admonitions? Well, then you tell it to the church. For the keys of the kingdom, as we will see, have been given to the church. We come to the third point. When the Catechism speaks here about the church, what does it mean? Who is the church? When the Lord Jesus says in Matthew 18, verse 17, that if someone refuses to listen to those who come to them, to warn them repeatedly, even with two witnesses, that if they do not want to listen to them, that then you must tell it to the church, does that mean then that that involves all people? Clearly not. Throughout the New Testament, we read that the Lord God wants elders and ministers to be overseers. Episcopoi is the Greek word. Overseers of the members of the church, of the flock. He gives the keys of the kingdom to them. Just further on in that passage of Matthew 18, the Lord Jesus makes it quite clear. He says to his disciples in verse 18, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That passage is parallel to what the Lord Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16, verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Peter and the rest of the apostles represent the church. And now, and it is now the elders along with the ministers who represent the church. They have been given authority by God. Again, that's not just me saying that or the Canadian Reformed Church. No, that's what it says in the Bible. In Hebrews 13, verse 17, for example, there are many other passages. It says there, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. The responsibility has been given to the overseers to the elders in the church, to watch over the flock. And that is why Paul commanded that that overseers be established in every church he planted. They are to guard the holiness of the congregation. And that's why we do not just let anybody on the Lord's Supper table. No, the minister... And the elders must be involved. And you may counter that we are not always consistent in that regard. We have relationship with sister churches who do not require an attestation beforehand. 
before they allow someone on the Lord's Supper. But please don't think that they do not recognize the authority of the elders of that person's church. For they do send a notice to that person's church that he or she has presented himself or herself as a Christian in good standing. It's not ideal in the way that they do that. And some of our sister churches are not as diligent in this as they should be. And for that reason, we also keep speaking to them on an official level about these things. We do not leave that alone because we see what the norm is. It is important, and that must be known, that the elders are fully involved and that they take the responsibility. We do not just let it, leave it up to the person to make a declaration. No, the elders have to be involved. We read together from 1 Corinthians 5. In that chapter, Paul deals with the fact that someone who is a member of the congregation at Corinth is leading an offensive lifestyle from which he does not want to repent. And inspired by the Holy Spirit, he tells them in no uncertain terms that they must, and here's that awful word again, that they must judge that person. And they have to expel that person from among them. It's awful because these are the results of sin. And within that context, it also says that the only ones that they can judge are those who belong to the church at Corinth. He tells them that they are not even allowed to judge outsiders. Brothers and sisters, the same thing is true here in this church. The elders of the Emmanuel Canadian Reformed Church can only judge about those who belong to this particular church. They have no business judging anyone else. We cannot judge outsiders. Indeed, we may not. God gives the minister and the elders the responsibility to judge those inside only. And please believe me when I tell you that this consistory also takes that very seriously. Well, sure, it may not always seem that like that to you. We have, for example, some young people who rarely and some who never come to church. As long as I've been a minister here, some of them I've never seen in this church. And yet they are still on the membership list. And it may seem to you that the consistory is doing nothing about it. But did you know that their names are mentioned every single time we have a consistory meeting? And that every time the elder in charge of that person is held to account with regard to his dealings with that wayward person? And then we encourage that elder to keep on warning, to keep on having contact. Discipline is a long and difficult process. When a consistory makes a judgment, then it has to be absolutely sure that it makes the right judgment, that it is in accordance with God's word. For the keys of the kingdom are, first of all, given to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we may only handle them in the way that he has shown us in his word. And that is why we have to be keen students of the Bible. And then it also, therefore, has to be absolutely sure that the person to be expelled it has absolutely cut him or herself off from the kingdom of God. 
And we hope that that person will come to better insight, especially when such a person is younger, and that that person will respond to the promises made to the Lord God that he made at the time at their baptism. It is usually not until they are in their late 20s that excommunication takes place, unless, of course, it becomes absolutely evident that the young person wants nothing to do with God, that he or she leads a blasphemous lifestyle and absolutely does not want to repent. Brothers and sisters, it is indeed sad that we cannot sit with many others around the Lord's Supper table, uh, with those who confess themselves to be Christians. But we may not judge about those outside of our church. The Lord God is the judge. And we will sit around the table with all kinds of other Christians from all kinds of different churches. There's no doubt about that. And that's when we will have true unity. But in the meantime, we should seek true unity here on earth. And that's the great desire of the Canadian Reformed Churches. We as Canadian Reformed Churches do everything we can to recognize other churches who also want to be faithful. We reach out to them to have communion with us in the way that God has described in his word. And we try not to put stumbling blocks in the way that are not required by the word of God. And as a result, we do have sister church relationships with many other churches. And in all this, we may not be legalistic, for there can be a tendency towards legalism also amongst us. We have to be discerning. There are different ways of guarding the table. And a written attestation may not always be possible. There may be various reasons for that. We have to be discerning. God gives us the ability to think about the scriptural principles that he has laid out and to work them out. And for that reason, the Lord God gives us overseers, men who want to be guided by the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, the Lord invites you to his table next week. It's a wonderful privilege. The Lord gives that invitation to all those who struggle with their sins and who do not want to live in their sins. And he gives that to you for your comfort. And if that is the kind of comfort you seek, then you must also attend. And if there are reasons for you not to be able to attend, then you must do everything in order to remove those reasons. He wants you to sit together at his table with your brothers and sisters in the Lord to remember the death and the victory over death of your dear Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He wants you to do that with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's a wonderful celebration. You really have something to look forward to this week. Amen.